Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. If you're using Pew Bibles, page 164. Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, a reading and a text from our First Testament. Deuteronomy 8, beginning in verse 11. In just a moment, I'm going to read this text. And before I do, I would uh, invite us to a time of meditation, reflection, and prayer. So I invite you to bow with me, please. Our loving God, in these moments and in this space, we have truly experienced you in so many different ways, and we want to praise you for that. We praise you that Jesus Christ has come to destroy the works of the devil, as Scripture says, that as we live in the hope of that risen Christ, you might purify our lives daily, cleanse us from sin. Renew a right spirit within us that we may live in such a way that when you come again, we will be made like you. And in the meantime, Lord, in the midst of the struggles and the journey, we pray your spirit to fill us with courage and patience and confidence. We pray especially for the grieving in our congregation, the ill, those who are facing family crises, job-related and finance-related crises, for those who are struggling, for those who are lost in our community and cannot find their way, for the hungry and the homeless, for the refugees everywhere in the earth and especially in regions of the Middle East. We pray for racial harmony and reconciliation in our state and in our land, and in our world. We ask, God, that you make us instruments of your peace and answers to our own prayers by the way we live the Jesus life. So guide us and feed our souls as we open Scripture and bring us to full attention that we might be prepared to sit under the authority of your Scripture and be changed by it. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 11, reading through the end of the chapter. If you're able, would you stand, please, as I read God's word aloud? Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied, And your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. Then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made water flow for you from the flint rock, And fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know, to humble you and to test you, and in the end to do you good. Do not say to yourself, My power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, so that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your ancestors as He is doing today. If you do forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve and worship them, 
I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord is destroying before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Here's what I want us to grab and hang on to in this brief sermon series, Sowing Gratitude, Harvesting Blessings. I want us to think about God's harvest plans, God's uh, law of the harvest, how blessings don't begin just by themselves, but rather spring up because of planting and because of cultivation. Gratitude is sown or planted And gratitude always expresses itself through some kind of giving, giving of money, giving of time, giving of talents, giving of attention and influence. There's the gratitude that shows itself in giving, and that planting results in a harvest of blessings. The blessings may be someone coming to Christ, miraculous conversion. The blessings may be a hungry mouth being fed. The blessing may be a home and a marriage restored. The blessing may be someone lonely who is comforted by the ministries of God's people. But blessings never just spring up by themselves. There is this, there is this sequence of gratitude which shows itself in giving, which results in the harvest of blessings. That's always the sequence. And so that got me to thinking as I wrestled with this text this week, that question that I ask us at the beginning of the worship service. Does prosperity always make us grateful? Or are there times when prosperity actually makes us less grateful because the prosperity dulls us spiritually? Do blessings automatically draw us closer to the Lord? Or sometimes do blessings actually lure us away from God as we start trusting in ourselves? We can can fall in love with the tinsel, with the veneer, with the stuff that's fleeting, and not even realize that we've done it. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, who uh, uh, was writing in the Screwtape Letters, He said, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is, quote, finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. The person thinks, oh, I'm finding my place in the world, I'm achieving success, but really the world is planting itself inside the person. And that can be very distracting, and that can be very, very addictive. And so... Here's what happens when that, when that process begins. There is this forgetting of God. Verse 12, when you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and lived in them. Verse 13, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied and your money has multiplied and your success has multiplied, multiplied then you exalt yourself and forget the Lord. That's verse 14. We forget God. And then the forgetting God and getting the world planted in us leads to another problem, and it's called self-sufficiency. 
And when we are self-sufficient, we have no room for God in our lives. We begin to tell ourselves the lie, and we begin to believe the lie that we've done this all ourselves. Oh, we'd never admit that. But deep down, we sort of start believing that we've done this all ourselves. Listen to verse 17. Do not say to yourself when that success comes, my power and my might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. Deuteronomy says, but remember, it's the Lord your God who gives you the power to earn money. It's the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth. You know, taken to its logical extreme, an attitude of self-sufficiency and this kind of pride would have us taking credit for sunshine and blue skies. We did it ourselves. We start taking credit for oxygen that we breathe and for the beating of our hearts. And why not take credit for the earth tilted just right on its axis and spinning at just the right speed and just the right distance from the sun that we neither freeze nor burn up? Let's just take credit for the whole thing. I love Aesop's fables. And one of Aesop's fables has the story of the fly, the teeny little fly buzzing around on the back of the chariot. And the fly looks behind the chariot and says, my, what a dust storm I have stirred up. That's us, teeny little flies, bragging that we've stirred up all this dust and we've done it all ourselves. The author, uh, Donald Miller, has said that we're all like spoiled children, no longer impressed with the gifts that are given to us. And I got to thinking about that. We're all like spoiled children, no longer impressed with the gifts, sort of blasé, sort of just, you know, there's a beautiful sunset, yawn. Wow, another day on earth, alive, boring, Another paycheck, thank God for an income. Well, I just wish it were more. Clothes in the closet, well, none of them match and they don't all fit anymore either. Spoiled children, no longer impressed with the gifts given to us. I want to say a word to those who are here this morning and not yet followers of Jesus Christ about this issue of self-sufficiency. And I know that some of you are not yet followers of Jesus Christ because, frankly, you feel very self-sufficient. You don't need Christ. I appreciate your honesty. I get that. You don't feel the need of Christ because life is going along pretty successfully. You've got the things you need. But what happens when the spigot turns off, when the tough times come? What happens when that thin veneer of success is rubbed off by life experience? And what happens when you are broken before your creator and in need of repenting of that self-sufficient spirit and in need of a savior who is truly sufficient and the only one sufficient? See, there will come a time when self-sufficiency doesn't work anymore and God's sufficiency through Jesus Christ will be greatly needed. 
And that's called grace. Giving us not what we deserve, but what we need. And recognizing grace by saying we did not do this ourselves. We didn't do our salvation ourselves. We didn't do life's material blessings by ourselves. We don't do oxygen by ourselves. Have you ever thought about what we call the family prayer at the table before we have a meal? Have you ever thought about that? Most of us call that prayer before a meal grace. Say, Pastor, will you say grace? Or uh, Dad says, uh, Susie, will you say grace? Or Mom says, Johnny, will you say grace? Isn't it interesting, the word we choose for that? We call it grace because when we say grace, we're really saying grace. When we say grace, we're saying grace did this, this food on the table. We may have earned it, but God gave us the strength to earn it. Somebody else harvested it, grew it and harvested it. When we say grace, we're really saying grace, not works. I mean, have you ever heard a dad say, Susie, will you say works before we have our meal? Johnny, will you say earned it all by myself before we have the meal? No. We say grace because we know we did not do this ourselves. God did it. God did it. Not us. I'm always interested in um, the study of spiritual awakenings in America and across the world. And there's a lot of research out there about spiritual awakenings in the world. And you know, church historians have discovered an interesting thing about genuine spiritual awakenings that really transform lives. Not surface stuff, not, not showy stuff, but deep down revival, renewal, spiritual awakenings. One of the things that they've noticed about genuine spiritual awakenings is that when spiritual awakening happens, people not only start repenting of the big behavior sins you know, like adultery and embezzling and, and murder and all those big ticket items, people not only start repenting of the big behavior sins during spiritual awakening, but people all start, also start repenting of the invisible, quiet attitude sins. Attitude sins like presumption, a sense of entitlement, a feeling of superiority, an attitude of self-sufficiency, pride as if we've done it ourselves. When genuine spiritual awakening happens, the tiny invisible attitude sins are repented of as well as the behavior sins. You know, the book of Deuteronomy is, is uh, pretty fascinating. Uh, we don't probably study it as often as we should. Uh, it, is, uh, it is such an important Old Testament book that of the 27 New Testament books, get this, of the 27 New Testament books, Deuteronomy is mentioned or quoted in 21 of those 27 books. That's how important Deuteronomy is. That it's quoted or mentioned, cited, in 21 of the 27 New Testament books. You know what the theme of Deuteronomy is? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your being. Love God with everything. Love God with your attitude of gratitude. And sow those seeds of gratitude. To love God with everything. To let the blood of Jesus, we would say in New Testament language, let the blood of Jesus wash your attitudes as well as your actions. And to say it another New Testament way, the risen Christ has claim to everything in our human existence. Everything in our lives belongs to the risen Christ. And with gratitude, we live and serve him. William Wilberforce uh, was a significant statesman in Great Britain in the 1800s. Wilberforce... uh, was converted to Christ in fairly dramatic fashion. And uh, after his conversion, people noticed two changes in his life. His attitude toward time and his attitude toward money. There developed in his life a gratitude which showed itself in generosity. And of course, Wilberforce went on to become such a force that through his influence and untiring efforts, slavery was abolished in Great Britain. And much was done in other social justice issues. But it all started with that planting of gratitude, which showed itself in giving so many ways and then the harvest of so many blessings because Christ happened to him and his attitude toward time and money drastically changed. I read a long time ago, uh, someone said, the quality of our giving, whether it's giving money, giving time, giving our talents, the quality of our giving is not, first of all, a financial matter. It's, first of all, a matter of our relationship with the Lord. It's not, first of all, an economic issue. It's, first of all, an issue of our relationship with Christ. And when the generous Christ happens to us, there is a deep, deep gratitude which shows itself in giving, which is harvested as many, many blessings. Let's pray together. As we bow for a time of prayer and reflection, we invite you to prepare your heart for the response time. Perhaps God is speaking to you about a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are happy to introduce you to Him to help you in any way if you're ready to make that faith commitment to Christ. Perhaps you've done that recently. You want to share it with the church family. Maybe uh, a recommitment of Christian life. Maybe a call to some special ministry. Maybe you want to join this church, officially become a part of our membership. Whatever it is, we simply invite you to be open to the Spirit during our response time. God, thank you for being so generous and loving with us. We pray God, that you'll open our hearts 
to practice that gratitude that changes our lives and the lives of others. Through Christ we pray. Amen.